Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. It was the protests that drew Anna to Paris, a city her mother knew well. After her mother's tragic death, the funeral and the reading of the will, after she'd cleared up the house and put all she could put to rest, that's when her mother's secrets came tumbling out of the woodwork, like a stack of sweaters falling from the top shelf of a closet. It was the letters stashed away in her dresser, the paintings she'd never dared put up hidden behind stacks of clothes and boxes of old books. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Jennifer Stilling about her new novel, After the Barricades. Anna's mother just died in a car accident, and while cleaning out her mother's closets, Anna comes across a stash of letters and a box of paintings that she'd heard nothing about. The correspondence is from a man named Stefan Terre, about whom her mother never said a word in the novel Stilling Goes to the Summer of 1968, where at the Sorbonne in Paris, where Bethany, Anna's mother, is studying for the summer. She and her friends eat dinner every night at a nearby cafe, and Stefan is their waiter. But he's also a Romanian Jew who survived the Holocaust as a child, who became a painter using the name of his tattoo, and has other secrets that Bethany slowly unravels. This is a novel about violence and war, about change, about fighting for change. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Gali. Thanks so much for having me. So I've been dying to talk to you about After the Barricades, especially now that I know you created one of the characters, a Romanian Jewish artist who survived Auschwitz, and your grandmother-in-law, who also survived the Holocaust. Was she able to read your book, and what was her response? She was. She, for the longest time, um, she's been a technical editor, and so she's been the first person who reads just about everything that, that I write until she got sick a few years ago. Um, and then I had to start paying a copy editor. But 
so she did see it and we worked a lot um, before I even started writing this book. And it was a lot of her stories and her stories of her father and his experiences um, in, in Romania around that time that, that really helped to propel this story that, that's being told. Um, I actually, the, the character that he's based on in, in the book is named Stefan. And I was going to, I was thinking about making him not Jewish, but a sort of a part of the French resistance was, was what he was. And that was like going to be his experience. And I just kept hearing these stories and being moved by them. And I realized that that history and the history of May 68, um, which is connected to World War II and connected to the ways in which the Holocaust impacted France and, and and French society and really the years later was able to sort of open up French society a little bit more um, based on, on what happened in 68. But I really wanted to explore that story and really tell it. And so I, I talked to her about it and I asked her, well, what do you think? And she was like, well, I think that, you know, if you can work on it and you can, you know, give justice to this voice, then then I think you should do it because I don't know anyone else who's going to do it. Mm. And that was part of her response as well. I don't know any other writers. None of my kids write like that. And so it it felt like a, a nice homage. And she wasn't sick at the time. Um, this book that I wrote, I wrote it about 10 years ago. And it, it honestly sat, sat on a shelf for a really long time before I went back to it. And um in that time, she she did get sick, and and um, so she's she's still still around, but but she hasn't read the the final version in a while. But when she did read it, she was she liked it, and she was really happy with the way that her her father was portrayed. Although she's she said, you know, my father was not that virile of a man. My father was not that attractive. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I may have have added some things, but um, that's so um, cute. She didn't like how yeah. handsome you made. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, exactly. Jessica, if you had to describe the book in one sentence, what would you say? This book is about how history repeats and comments on itself. That, wow. and that is why I start with the Yellow Jacket protests um, that are still happening now, and then go back to the 60s, and then back to the 30s and, and World War II. Um, to sort of comment on this is history repeating and changing how it's repeating, but still having those rhythms that repeat themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just by chance, I happened to be on a train heading from the south of France to Paris when I started reading your book. So it was just oh, wow. so out of like just so strange and interesting that it happened and I was really connected to it. Um, first, I wonder if anyone reading this book will immediately clean out their closets so their kids don't find any of their secrets. Because after Bethany dies, your character Anna finds a trove of letters and a bunch of paintings she's never seen. Can you say more? Yeah, I wanted to talk about how our personal histories and and the different phases that we go through in our lives um, sort of comment on creating the whole person, just like history goes through phases. You know, we we had, you know, the, the Roaring Twenties, and then we had the World War II era, and then we had the 60s, and um, 
I'm being very sort of general here, but this idea that people have those eras in their lives as well. And that was part of what showing the different parts of Bethany's life was about um, this issue of having our, our secrets and not all of our history do we just portray for everyone. And there are definitely secrets that I, I really hope to take to my grave. And um, yeah, I hope I haven't left any any messages, although I, I journal a lot and write a lot and and especially in the world we live in where everyone has a picture of everything and there's documentation on social media um, that maybe it's not a picture in a closet or the letters in a closet, but we do leave stuff for people to find. And, and I also find that really beautiful, um, this idea of really going back and, and learning about who someone was and their history. And that's one of the things that Anna sees is that her mother is not the woman that she was when she knew her mother, that she has these other histories, these other lives that she's lived. She knew this whole other person pretty well. And she, she learns later that they, they did stay connected, even though she didn't know him very well. And it's, it's those sort of secrets and parts of ourselves that, that grow and change as, as we, we grow and change. Anna had heard about the Yellow Jacket protests in Paris before she was sent to cover them as a journalist, as a reporter. Can you explain? Yeah. So the Yellow and I, the Yellow Jacket protest is actually an addition that I made pretty late um, in this writing process. I started this book about ten years ago, and actually the protest that she was at was Occupy Wall Street, um, which is in America and very different. Um, and so I actually moved those and changed that to be the Yellow Jacket protests. Um, once I decided to publish this novel um, now, I felt like Occupy Wall Street was just a little too old. And I really wanted to, to get what was going on now. And I felt like the Yellow Jackets, in a lot of ways, are a continuation of what happened in May 68. They're not exactly the same. But there's so many of the same things like income inequality and issues of, you know, cultural issues coming to the forefront are a, a lot of what the Yellow Jackets are protesting now. And it was a lot of what they were protesting in 1968. And so once I decided to publish this book, I decided I'll just modernize it even more. And and that's why I, I started it with the Yellow Jackets. But the conversations while currently about government, the conversations in Paris that I was listening to were about the raising of retirement age from 62 to 64, not quite the fight for economic justice and workers' rights when they were protesting in 1968 or even 2019. What do you say? I think that there's definitely differences. And I, I do, as someone who feels like income inequality is really, really important, that these sometimes these younger kids who are going out and protesting and, and putting their bodies on the line are are doing it more for the perhaps the the principle of economic equality as opposed to the the pension age issue. Um, a friend of mine said, you know, all they're doing is is fighting for old people to be able to retire sooner and they're not old and why are they doing this? And and that's what I think that the ideas of, of the principle behind it that, you know, you can't, why are you taking this away from us? Why are you making the working class work more when we've already worked? And I think that that's the principle is is definitely there, um, and I I do think that you know we're reacting a little bit to the income inequality going on in in our larger world, and um, a lot of the protests that sort of you know 
are centered around those cultural differences and those cultural shifts. Um, but this this principle of you know helping the working class and being with the working class. Um, I think that's part of what they're doing, even if there's sort of differences in the way things are, are looking and being executed. Yeah. One of your themes is how unrest turns into protest, which usually turns into violence. And that's a quote from your book. That was certainly the case with 1968 and 2019. How did you approach writing about different kinds of violence, the, vi the random police attacks, the kids throwing Molotov cocktails, etc.? I really wanted to be as open as possible with the depictions of violence. And I also didn't want to be too judgmental. Um, I didn't really want to be anti-police or, or anti-government. And I, I think while there were definitely, you know, political students who were very anti-government at that time there there was also a sense of of working with the, the larger government and that's why they were so upset when de gaulle just left and went to germany um of all places germany and so i think that trying to depict that violence i wanted to to get to like the real telling details like when the students are picking up the or like pulling the bricks from from the street the cobblestone and throwing it at people that was something really realistic that that they were doing and so i wanted to pick up on the uniqueness of that movement like the picking up of the cobblestone the the way that they wore the gas masks the way that students wore, wore gas masks um some of them were able to get their hands on those things um and then the occupation of the the sorbonne and i really wanted to show and that's why i did two chapters one is like the okay, we are occupying this great school that's been around forever and the students are in charge and there's such um, hopefulness. And then in a chapter that happens a bit later, the main character, Bethany, is like, well, is this really hopeful? Everyone is dirty and gross and doing drugs and naked and how is this hopeful? And so I wanted to show sort of both the, the hopeful side that sort of starts the the protest and then how it devolves and so the the devolution that happens in, in the second part of the book is is sort of exploring how how we can sort of the end of the day just see that that it's more than just fighting for our rights and grand ideals that there are consequences and sometimes the consequences are that you know that everything's dirty and it doesn't work right and society doesn't work when you tear it down and so i wanted to sort of show that in the second half of the book mm -hmm. stefan is an intriguing character he's only 36 but he lived through a lot of turmoil as we said during the holocaust afterwards in palestine did you think at first that his life was going to continue being a struggle or did you always plan to have him find happiness you know when i started this i I really wasn't planning to to explore his emotional life after Bethany. And so I saw him sort of contained in in the the life of 1968. But when I started working on the frame, I realized that again, thinking about the different histories in our own lives and how we have these different movements in our own lives, that Bethany is not the end for him either. And you know, he is pretty young um and i i had trying to figure out and finagle those ages so they weren't ridiculous um was was definitely a, a challenge but when 
when he decides to leave France, I, I was just going to have him sort of ride off into the sunset. And I realized he would have gone somewhere. He would have done something. And and honestly, I pictured his daughter, Serene, before I pictured his life after Bethany. Um, mm -hmm. I saw this daughter and realized she was was Stefan's daughter. And I wish I could have written more about her. I really liked her. Um, but she... Um, she's really emblematic of the life that he lived afterwards. And once I saw that, that image of, of his daughter, I realized that he, he had to have gone somewhere. He had to have, you know, done other things with his life. And that's when the, the frame really started to take shape. And I started to, to see him outside of his connection to Bethany as well. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit about your historical research about Paris and the protests and, and even the Nazi invasion of Romania and the, all of it? How'd so, you do it? A, a lot of research that just books and nuts and bolts and then interviewing and talking to people. And I think that, you know, sometimes you get information from books like, like who was in charge in Romania in the 1930s and what was the name of their currency and, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the Russians were in there first and, and being problematic before we even got to the Germans. Um, so that was all like book learning. And then these details about the way that like the soldiers came in and broke, um, there's a, a scene in the book where the soldiers come in to the Stefan's aunt's house um, her name is Java, and she um, she has all of these nice things, and they come in and like take some of it, and they come in and break some of it, and and those are from stories um, that I, I got from people and, and their experiences, and and I, I tried to make those more vivid, and I think I was much more angry when I wrote those scenes, um, and I really had to go back and sort of pare them down a little bit more um, because those were the scenes that made me angry because I, I knew that they were based on something, some injustice that had actually happened versus the injustice that, you know, you can make up in your head and, and it can still be upsetting, but but it doesn't sort of have the same sort of oomph with it. So I, mm. a lot of those stories are based, or those stories in the book are based on people's stories. Um, but I did a lot of book research as well into the May 68 riots and then also what was happening in Romania before and during World War II. And um, and I also had a professor who um, who was in the children's camp who was, was helpful with that as well. Ah, so was there a real Aunt Chava that she was based on? No, she was not. So her character is is pretty made up. She's sort okay. of based on a few stories that came from her, um, from <laughs> my, my grandmother-in-law's father um, and, and his stories of all of his sisters. There was more than one sister. They, they were uh, sort of, from what he told me, they were very pretty and liked their nice dresses. And, and so that is like, like her, but I think that um, she's sort of a, a melding of, of a bunch of different stories that he told about many sisters. Otherwise, you'd go off in that direction and never finish the, the story oh. of Bethany and stuff. You write that the students were upset that, quote, everything comes down to money and society is becoming unhinged by it. Wondering if you think anything has changed anywhere since 1968. <laughs> you know, I think in many ways we we do have more. Um, we have more connection through media we have a, a lot of things are, are are nicer now 
But then I think about what's happening in Florida with the books that are being banned. Um, and that, uh, well, that is very reminiscent of, um, you know, Europe in the 1930s and 40s. And, you know, finding a, a new boogeyman with the way that, you know, trans people are, are now the new boogeyman um, in a lot of circles. And so while I think that culturally, different cultures have you know, changed their tune, gotten better. I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of strides that have been made with the Jewish community, especially in America, um, to be more visible and, and more accepted. But I think that there are other communities that are really under attack. And it, it hopefully things don't get as bad as they got. But it's it seems like we are moving in a direction that I, I would have said we were moving in even 10 years ago. Um, the way that that things are are happening um, with, you know, January 6th and book bannings and, um, you know, DeSantis' fight with, with Disney. It seems like we're moving in a direction that makes me a little uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And we have armed guards at synagogues now in America. United States of America. It's shocking. Yeah. Um, Bethany wrote uh, that witnessing the May 1968 riots in Paris inspired her to study art as protest. She then goes ahead to do a PhD in art history. Um, that was fascinating. It was really fun to read about Bethany at during her experience in Paris. And I loved the fact that she just randomly heard Jean-Paul Sartre speak one day and another day Simone de Beauvoir came. How amazing is that? Can you say more? I was really jealous of her as I was writing that. Mm -hmm. And I, I really wanted to write about Camus because Camus is like the existentialist that I loved from that time period. Um, but he was not around at that time. <laughs> Um, so there was no Camus, but it was, um, I really studied before I even thought about writing this book. I, I loved uh, French philosophy and I read a lot of Sartre and he, his, I think no exit, um, just is so brilliant because it just sort of understands humanity. Um, and the second sex is like one of those books that I, I've read a couple of times because it's just so interesting and and gets to the nuances of of humanity and so I, I really wanted her to to see those people and I also know knew that those people were very visible at that time and very access, accessible um the way they they may not have been earlier in their careers um because they they wanted to be with the students and and so I toyed with the idea of having Bethany talk to someone. Um, I was actually going to have a, a scene with Simone de Beauvoir and um, and sort of a couple of other female philosophy students, um, and I just decided to to not do that. That that was just a little bit too much um, fantasy and maybe Jessica fantasy um, to play with, but there was a lot going on and there were a lot of people, you know, Jean-Pierre Lyot was like in the streets protesting his own movies. And um, it was hard to keep the sort of those celebrities out of the book. Um, I really wanted to write about them and I decided that may be a little much. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the protest art? So I think that the art that she sees in the streets um, when she's, you know, walking around and she sees the, the graffiti and she sees the sort of posters. 
And one thing that I did after I wrote this book was I just bought a bunch of posters of of the the May 68 riot posters and and what they were putting up, like the, the bills that they were just putting up everywhere and plastering. And so she's really inspired by all of that. And she's comes from this sort of, and she's called a few times of Boston blue blood and her father's a professor and she has connections to like freedom writers. And, and so she, she does know her, her family is, is fairly well, um, well connected to to the protests in America, but she's still just a girl who likes art and wants to study Monet, and and then she meets Stefan and sees his work, um, and realizes that his work has already inspired her. Um, that he's this artist that she's always liked, that she didn't know his name because he didn't go by a name, and and it's there that she realizes that art can just be more than just. Monet made everything pretty um, or Picasso plays with, you know, form and, and shape structure um, and color. And, you know, you, you can definitely spend your life studying that and it's awesome, but she realizes there's more and that art can really say something. Um, and that was sort of my goal with this book as well is to make a statement. There's a couple of times in the book where I, I well, a character gives a very impassioned political speech. And I remember thinking, I should probably take some stuff out. I should, this is a long-winded speech. This is, this is not great writing. And sometimes I took the speech out or sometimes I'd modify it. But a lot of the time I realized, no, I really want people to say these things. And I want people to think about these things and hear these things. And so maybe it's not as pretty as something that, you know, is more curated. But those political speeches, especially the ones that a character named Claude um, starts spouting a few times, um, I wanted to leave them in because that was really realistic of, of what the students um, were thinking at the mm -hmm. time. So, Jessica, what are you working on now? What am I working on now? What's next? I am, oh, my. I am trying to sort of take a break from writing. Um, I have a, a young adult fantasy series um, and I think I'm working on sort of edits to book two right now. That's going to come out, I believe in the summer next June, um, the coming summer. Um, and and then I, I do have another book in that series that I need to work on um, to finish. And um, I have a, a book coming out in December about the um, about the troubles in Northern Ireland um, that I've sort of been playing with and working on. But other than that, um, I have a book in my head. It's called Beatrice and Persephone, and not sure when I'm going to start that. I I really want to slow down with this book and and sort of you know take stock of of my writing and and my work and. Um, both from a sort of personal point of view and also from sort of a business point of view. Um, so I'm not sure when that will begin, when I'll begin the writing process, but but it is in my head and I know me, I will, I will have to write it at some point. <laughs> well, I'm wishing you the best of luck. Thank you again for being with me today. Thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Jessica Stilling about her new novel, After the Barricades. Hope you've got a good book to cuddle up with tonight. 
I do. Happy reading.